The Colorado Equals Security Podcast is your local source for regional security news, local events, and interviews with key individuals in the region. Now, here are your hosts, Rob Reck and Alex Wood. Welcome to Colorado Equal Security. This is the newscast for episode 181 for the week of September 21st, 2020. Alex, good to see you. Good to see you too, Rob. Any any exciting news recently? You know, kind of same old, same old. Well, know. speaking of same old, same old, we have some, <laughs> we have some housekeeping stuff to go through here. Uh, we we do have a Slack channel. Uh, go join that by going out to Colorado-Security.com. Click on the link to get in there. Lots of great conversations. Man, lots of great conversations in there yeah. recently. Very busy. Hard to keep up with so many good conversations. Also, uh, we have a mailing list. Did you know that? I uh, did. I did know that. You know, uh, every week, if you want to get the show notes in your email, you can sign up for that mailing list at colorado-security.com, and you'll get one email a week with show notes. We would love it if you would rate us and subscribe on your favorite podcast listening app, your favorite podcatcher, if you would. Uh, also, please tell a friend. Let them know all of the great things happening with Colorado Equal Security. Welcome, in, welcome them into the community. Uh, we would also love it if you want to support us even more, if you would join our Patreon campaign. That's a place where you can donate just a little bit of money each month to help defray the cost of the podcast so that Alex and I are uh, not having to pay for all of it. Um, and of course, we would also love it if you would do interviews for us on the show. We we you know we, we generally have the newscast plus an interview, and, and having folks who help us do the interviews is, is quite a, an assistance to us. So uh, big thanks for those who already do it. And of course, if you were interested in getting involved, send us a note either through Slack or at info at colorado-security.com. Good stuff. Uh, one final note, Rob. We are doing a salary survey. Uh, we are getting close to closing the uh, the link to collect data on that. Um, we've got a, a number of good responses. We'd love to get a few more. So um, please check that out. If you are in the, the Colorado area and would like to contribute, we would love to have your data. Um, we This is not a public survey, so it will not be published unless you contribute data into the survey. Yeah, good stuff. And we are planning to close that at the end of September. So you, you really have just one more warning after this before right. before it's gone. You can get there at, uh, you can find it from, I believe, the website, also the Slack channel, um, or go to co.sec.co slash salary survey. co-sec.co slash salary survey. All right, let's jump into the news. This is a different one. I don't think we've ever had a conversation about this topic before. Um, there's a story from the Colorado Sun this week around Colorado's new discrimination law or an edit to our discrimination law that now incorporates hair texture, hairstyle, hair color as one of the things for which people cannot be discriminated against. Yeah, you know, it was, uh, I thought it was an interesting story, Rob. Um, not something that we normally uh, talk about here. Um, they had some stats in there about uh, women of color being discriminated against um, in a, a much larger percentage because of their hairstyles. Um, you know, asking folks to straighten their hair when it's not naturally straight or other things like that. And so now we have the Crown Act, which uh, makes that a discriminatory behavior. So Crown is all capitalized, which makes me think it's an acronym, but the article doesn't say what the acronym yeah. is, which I guess I could have Googled it, but I didn't. Now I'm just wondering what Crown stands for. You know, and I, of course, am particularly hair sensitive. So I think that it, this is a well, good you, thing. You can definitely be biased against for your hairstyle, right? <laughs> is that that's that, still safe? That's perfectly fine. <laughs> yes, I don't believe I was uh, considered in that. All right. And we are, it looks like, you know, I was surprised at this. I didn't, I didn't know that this was uh, a thing, uh, but it looks like we're actually like about middle of the road 
in terms of states to initiate to have some kind of a law like this. Yeah, we, we, definitely not the first. Um, I, I think, yeah, I want to say there are five or six other states, something like that. Uh, I, maybe thought there, a I thought more. I saw 20 something. Oh, um, maybe there, maybe it was a this state, this state, this state and a bunch more. And I missed the bunch more. Yeah. But, details are hard. Yeah. It, uh, are. So far this year, 22 states have considered uh, or they've considered measures. Sorry. So th- they haven't all passed it. You're right. There's right. just a few who've actually passed it. Yeah. So good on us for uh, stamping out discrimination. All right. Uh, next, uh, as you might imagine, this year or this coming year, uh, 2021, is going to be a bad budget year for the state of Colorado uh, with tax revenues down. However, uh, based on current projections, we could escape the worst of the worst case scenarios. Yeah, so they've, they've created you know a, a number of different budget proposals based on how bad things get in terms of how much less revenue they, they end up getting. Um, so we're, we're, it looks like we're actually okay for the for the foreseeable future right for the next year that we can project so they they'd come in expecting a, a three billion dollar well having cut already three billion dollars worth of spending um, we, we had a couple of pieces of good news come though number one was that tax revenues um, came back faster you know the, right. the, the the bounce back was a little faster than we expected from the the shutdown and number two uh, the economy was actually even better than we thought before the covid so there was more right. tax revenues that came in as a, a kind of lagging behind that than they expected yeah i think there were something like an, an extra almost 900 million dollars in tax revenue that came in from a better than an expected economy before the uh, before covid so it's 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 definitely we're not getting the worst of the worst scenario. Although it sounds like you know th- there's a lot of caveats here. Um, you know if if we have another lockdown, if things go bad again, uh, it's going to get bad, right? Right. So so we think that it's we should be okay with the current uh, uh, what are they, the, the reserves that we have right, right now, assuming that we you know we, we continue to kind of go get better and not significantly worse over the winter. Yeah, let's uh, let's hope for things not getting better or not <laughs> not getting worse. Uh, everyone wear your masks, socially yeah. distance, all that stuff, so that we can not go back into lockdown. All right, so let, let's play a game, Alex. Uh, next story here: um, Mountain Bell, okay, U.S. West, okay, uh, CenturyLink, okay. No, no, sorry, I missed Quest. Sorry, Quest. Yeah, yeah, U.S. or I, Mountain Bell, uh, U.S. West, Quest, CenturyLink, and now. Lumen. Lumen Technologies. Although um, I was going to say, uh, you know, if we're playing Jeopardy, what are companies that no longer exist? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's that's fair enough as well. Companies that all sat in the same five buildings downtown and, and have changed the name in there a dozen times. What, what was this, the Saturday Night Live skit where it was, you know, uh, you know, sort of fake Jeopardy and they, oh, they named like, you know, four people as who are people who haven't been in my living room. (laughs) (laughs) So that was what you just did was actually a quote from, uh, it was a cheers. It was a cheers bit with uh, cheers. Clavin goes on it and he gets, he gets all the way to the, he gets all the way to final jeopardy. And he's like, he's got more than twice as much as the next person. And he bets everything and he doesn't know the answer, but he, he, the the question is what are these three people have in common? He said, they've never been in my living room. Right. Call, call them and let them know you've never been in my living room. (laughs) Anyway, uh, yeah, so Lumen uh, Technologies. Yes. Uh, so uh, CenturyLink is rebranding. Uh, they've decided that uh, at least for the, the enterprise side of the business, CenturyLink is not what they want to go by. So now they're going to go by Lumen. Um, it sounds like for the consumer side and small business, it will still be CenturyLink. Uh, and also, if you are one of the lucky few that can get the sort of next generation uh 
you know, fiber to your home and things like that, then that is actually going to be a different brand as well called Quantum Technologies or something like that. So Lumen is a measure of light that's yes, it is. generated. So, you, you know, you can measure how bright a, a lamp is by how many lumens it puts off. Um, and, and the article suggests that, you know, this is based on fiber, which if you know how fiber works, it's actually sending light through the through the cables. Um, so the, the, the big competitive advantage that CenturyLink has right now, as as many, many consumers are moving away from DSL and, and trying to move to faster, either wireless or cable modems, is that they have this great fiber network. So they're kind of yep. doubling down on Lumen as their fiber uh, as their fiber competitive advantage. Yep. Pretty cool. Uh, congrats to them on the rebranding. Hopefully it um, is more than just a rebranding and a new start for the company. Yeah. All right, so we we talked we always we talk about Sphero on here. I feel like you know every month or so, uh, Sphero has a new product, and and it, it's not at all what I would have guessed the product was going to be. Yeah, um, it's a golf ball, Rob. You know, uh, that, that's but, what robotics companies make is golf balls. But I'm pretty sure you're not supposed to hit this golf ball with a golf club. Oh, did I did I misread this? Is this? <laughs> I, I thought it was just a golf ball. <laughs> It's it's a robotic golf ball, Rob. Would make me much better at golf if I could if I could have a ball like this. Basically, it's a ball that you know you've seen BB8, right? Which BB8 is basically just a golf golf ball with a head. Well, two golf balls together. So this golf ball is similar to BB8. You can control it with your phone. You can program it to go do things, and basically, you can play mini golf without touching the golf ball directly. You're basically commanding this thing to go around through your through your course you make. Pandemic mini golf, Rob. Pandemic mini golf. Although mini golf is probably relatively social distance and safe, right? Yeah, probably. It's yeah. outside, you know. Anyway. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, so I thought that was pretty cool. Um, it, it's a, I think, a, a good, a, you know, another good thing from Sphero that's, um, you know, kind of a kid starter kit where you can have them learn how to program something, um, have them, you know, figure out a mini golf course. I think that they're having a competition as well in the. Uh, that was listed there talking about designing mini golf courses, you know, programming essentially mini golf courses for the uh, the golf ball to compete on. So if you are e- either totally confused by our terrible description of this thing, or we kind of whetted your appetite and, you're, and you want to actually see what it looks like, you can go into the show notes and click the link because there's a video that shows people playing with this golf ball. Or you can wait till I get mine at my house and, and I'll put a video. You can see that one too. Sounds good. All right, uh, next we have an article from the National Cybersecurity Center talking about the risks and rewards of smart cities. I feel like NCC has done a good job coming up with a couple of different areas to focus on in the last year or so. Um, Obviously, election security, it's one of the big things that they're working on in online uh, voting. Uh, And then this other one is the smart city initiatives that they've been working on and and trying to find some, an area that there's just not a lot of great research on. And and these are both areas that, that they could add a lot of value on. Definitely. And this article is very long and in-depth, uh, talks a lot about what smart cities are, um, you know, the technology pieces, why you need security in a smart city, um, as well as talking about things like uh, privacy impacts to smart cities, right? If you are, uh, you're taking in all of these signals from data in your smart city to, you know, help trash collection and um, traffic and things like that, well, you know, you're probably going to have uh, some data that could be used to identify people in there. So you have to be considerate of that as well. Yeah, I love the fact that they're they're thinking about these things not only through the functionality perspective, but the privacy and security perspective uh, and, and really helping build this up at the beginning. Uh, and, you know, they, they start off by talking about what are the benefits and values of a smart city. So if you're if you wonder why would I want this anyway? Well, maybe take a look at this and maybe you'll think that it's worth doing. 
because it's smart. Duh. Duh. All right. Uh, next, we have a uh, announcement from Logarithm. This is actually sort of a third-party announcement. Um, one of the uh, managed security providers that uses them has acquired um, another company to help increase their logarithm experience and aptitude. So this is the first time I think I've ever seen a third party do a press release. And it's a press release yeah. um, about two other companies that want, you know, another company that's acquired another one. It, it just, it's kind of weird. But anyway, the, the company is Avertium. Uh, they are a MSP that I guess mostly specializes in logarithm. Yep. And, and they have bought a company called uh, 1440 security that that's going to actually get them more in-depth logarithm experience. Why are we talking about this here? Well, 1440 security does have a Denver sock. Um, so there's, I'm sure that there's some folks, I hope there's some folks listening from that company who are like, yes, that's us. And hopefully it's good for you guys. I'm, I'm yeah. hopeful. And, uh, and of course it, it's also logarithm related. So a lot of Colorado connections here. Yep. Good stuff. All right. Uh, next, uh, coal fire has released their third annual penetration risk report. And they have some surprising new trends, Rob. You know, some, some of the stuff that's not surprising at all. They they do show <laughs> they do have a couple uh, bullets here, but one that's not surprising is that large 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 cloud providers uh, have seen a lot of security gains over the last year. They are forty six percent less likely to suffer data breach than large enterprises, uh, which I, that doesn't surprise me. But I think it's worth yep. putting near the top like they did. Yeah, I, I think um, you know. Cloud providers have matured and realized, hey, we can get rid of uh, a lot of this low-hanging fruit that people are getting compromised from pretty easily. So many of them have done that. Another surprising, not surprising finding is that phishing is the number one way to get a breach. 60, 61% of phishing attempts – well, wait a second. 61% of phishing attempts result in full compromise of access credentials? What is that? I wonder what, how they mean by phishing attempts, like year-long campaigns. Yeah, I don't know. Or sixty-one percent of emails sent out. That well, is, that I mean, right. no. Keep in mind that this is from actual penetration tests that Coal Fire has done. So I'd imagine as part of their penetration tests, they are doing phishing to try and get credentials as part of the penetration test. So it sounds like sixty-one percent of the time they're successful. Man, that's scary. It, it is scary. Um, I guess not too surprising. It maybe a little 61%, high. Sixty-one percent, though. Maybe a little high. I don't know. Ugh. Um, I guess it depends also on uh, how they're doing that, right? You know, if you and I are doing a phishing campaign, we're probably testing our entire employee base. Uh, since they're doing penetration testing, my guess is that they're probably being a little bit more pointed. So who knows? Um, but, uh, you know, insecure protocols dominated the top vulnerabilities. Again, not surprising. We, I think we all know that there are still a lot of insecure protocols that are out there. So the other thing, uh, they do break the report down into... Uh, verticals as well around compliance and things like that with FedRAMP and PCI. So uh, I think one of the nice things about this report is you can sort, you can take it and look at what it is that applies to you. You know, um, you PCI does apply to you, um, you know, what sector, sector, segment, things like that. And you can figure out what it is that was most successful uh, potentially against yeah. you. All right. Uh, next article we have. I love the fact that we can kind of go, you know, across different areas of security and different disciplines. This next one is by David Staus, who's a, who's a lawyer and talking about compliance, specifically talking about what U.S. companies need to know about LGPD, which is Brazil's new data privacy law. Oh, I was going to say that that was the, the new acronym for, um, you know, non-heterosexual people, LGBT. Was it non-cis? Is that the... I think that that's probably right. I think that's Rob. what they call it, right? Um, so... This is pretty interesting in the fact that I was not particularly aware of uh, the Brazilian privacy law, but it sounds a whole lot like GDPR. 
It does. Uh, I think you know because Brazil is is less well, much smaller than all of Europe, and is uh, has less of an economic powerhouse behind it. It's got a lot less news, but it is a, a, just another big nation that is uh, is pushing us toward a more privacy centric approach to data. And of course, in the U.S., you know, I, I'm hoping that it, it kind of pushes us towards doing something federally as well. Yeah, one of the other things I like is that this uh, blog is very detailed. Um, so. David goes into all of the different areas uh, of the statute itself. So if you want to look at it and figure out the differences uh, between it and G GDPR, if you are familiar with GDPR, then um, you've got a lot of the information in there. I love it. Uh, our next article is is another Red Canary blog. And this one's, uh, it's, it seems like there's been a lot of uh, threat intelligence uh, stories recently. Yeah. Um, this, but this one is is nice because it really kind of gives you a place to start, not not as a company, but as a individual. How do you build your career around threat intelligence? Yeah, and, and I thought that was in, an interesting spin on it too, um, because you know most often when you're thinking about things like this, like the Zavilo blog last week, it's talking about actually collecting cyber threat intelligence and things like this. This is more about how you get your skills and then uh, can make that into a career. Um, starting off with, you know, she, I just I'll say she has four big categories of tip. There's a lot more data underneath these, but worth kind of giving you what those tips are. Number one is that cybersecurity experience is not required, but hard work and curiosity are. Uh, you can teach yourself many of the concepts of cyber threat intelligence. Uh, when you're trying to get a job, apply to all the jobs. I guess she's saying don't be targeted. I don't know if I agree with her on this. Uh, I, I personally think you know, it doesn't hurt to apply to lots of jobs, but you're much better off figuring out where you want to go and then getting a relationship with someone over there and getting to know them and ask questions. And they all of a sudden go, oh, this person's interested in our company. And it'll make it much easier to go from applying to actually getting an interview. Um, yeah, I, I can see that. I think it depends on how much you want to get a, an actual job. Is it, are you looking for your dream job or do you need a job? If you're just you know, trying to get a job, of course, apply to all the jobs. But yep. if you want to get a good job, figure out where a good job is and go meet those people. Go and, to the Slack channel and meet them. And if you want to do that, then you should do number four, which is network. Network. Uh, we're, people. We're not talking about routers and switches here. We're, no. We're talking about beers and Zoom meetings. Get to know people. Yeah, sounds good. Um, and then our final blog for the week um, we talked about the coal fire blog last week uh, or maybe even the week before um, about their women in STEM program. But this is a, a WebRoot blog celebrating uh, women in STEM at WebRoot and around National Coding Week and IT Pro Day. Um, I thought this was interesting. Um, you have some quotes in here from uh, folks at WebRoot, um, women at WebRoot who are, are in the industry. And also, I noticed a little snippet at the end of the blog talking about how um, WebRoot and their parent company, OpenText, is part of the initiative to ensure that there are 30% uh, women on corporate boards. That's awesome. I, I do love to see the uh, kind of showing off the, the women who, are, who have been successful in these tech companies as it becomes a great example for girls and you know the next generation coming behind them. The, the more companies who are willing to do this, Coal Fire's done a good job, and now WebRoot. Uh, I think the better off we're all going to be and the next, how the next generation is going to be more interested in doing this. For sure. All right, so that's the news. Let's move on to the Slack message of the week. Thanks to Andre Gaeta for uh, sponsoring the Slack message of the week for us. He's been doing this for an awful long time, and we really appreciate that. So thanks, Andre. Um, and this week's winner of the Slack message of the week is... It's Telecon, also known as JC. Uh, JC is one of the volunteers who did a ton of work to get the Denver B-Sides conference off the ground and, and running. I don't know if you got to attend. I got to attend some of it on Friday. Uh, it was it was good. It's always great to see you know that 
that little bit less formal approach to security that you get at the cons like that, um, and to see a lot of a lot of local folks involved. Awesome. Well, congratulations to Telecon. Um, you'll be able to pick an item from the Colorado Equal Security Swag Store and uh, show off your love of everything Colorado Equal Security. All right, let's jump over to our calendar of events. As a reminder on the website, you can go out to see what's happening over the next six months or so. Uh, but each week, we just go through the, the events happening in the next two weeks. So you're, you don't have to even click on that if you don't want to. First up, ISC Squared Pikes Peak is doing their September chapter meeting on the 23rd. On the 24th, Colorado Springs um, has uh, the ISSA chapter of Colorado Springs, rather, has their September online series meeting. On the 25th, uh, DC 303 is doing their September meeting. They do those on Friday nights from 7 to 10 p.m. So you can't say that most people's work's going to get in the way of that. Nope, so probably not. Free. Uh, on the 1st of, de- of October, um, NCC is doing an election interference and data breaches webinar. Cool. And then on the 3rd of October, Isaka Denver is doing the Isaka Community Day. Yeah, they're going to actually go out to a park in Denver uh, where they're where they're removing flowers, turning the soil, basically getting it ready for winter. Uh, so if you want to steal some flowers for a park, this is your time to do it. Good stuff. All right, let's go ahead and move, jump over into jobs. We have some interesting jobs this week, uh, starting off with one we, we received from Debbie Blythe, the CISO for the state of Colorado. She emailed this to us. Um, she is looking to hire a director of security operations. Yeah, and this uh, this job will, uh, excuse me, will report directly to Debbie. So if you want to work directly for Debbie, um, this is the job for you. Uh, next, Sunrun is looking for a director of security and compliance. Ibotta is hiring a head of information security. I have to say, I was a little disappointed to see that Ibotta, which is a pretty good sized tech company, this position is reporting to a director of infrastructure. Mm-hmm. Um, it's probably not where it should be. So I, if Ibotta people are listening, yeah, you might want to fix that. Yeah. Good idea. Optive uh, is hiring a director of security operations for their managed detection and response service. Uh, Marathon TS is hiring a security director slash architect. Ignite Mental Health is hiring a co-chief information security officer. I'm not sure exactly what that is. Well, but... I put that other part in there later because it, it's part-time remote and volunteer. Ah. So it's it's not a real job, but they. I'm, I'm <laughs> sure that this is a non I believe this is a nonprofit and they're just looking for someone to help them you know, not let people's data get stolen. That would be cool. Uh, Praetorian is hiring a VP of services. The Motley Fool, which is like a, a an investing stock tip website. I yeah. had no idea they had a presence here in Denver. I didn't either. Uh, they are hiring a security engineer. Venmo is looking for an information security engineer three. I don't think I knew Venmo was here either. Well, Venmo is owned by PayPal. And I know PayPal traditionally has had some people in Denver. So yeah. I think not that's a, probably a connection. A Was security people though? Yeah, I don't know. Huh. Well, anyway, a couple of interesting companies here. Uh, finally, Dish is hiring an information security risk management lead. Cool. That sounds like fun. All right. Well, that is it for the news. We do have an interview this week. I sat down with Matt Schufeld. Uh, we had Matt on the show. It was like three years ago when he was the maybe two years ago. No, three years ago when he was uh, one of the CISO, CISO of Cognizant Healthcare in town. Since then, he's moved on to, to new stuff. And we get to talk about that here on the show. Awesome. Should be fun. All right, everyone, have a great day. We'll look forward to talking to you again next week. Thanks, Rob. This is Michael Steffen, Privacy Security Officer for Connect for Health Colorado. Welcome to Colorado Equals Security for Colorado Security Professionals by Colorado Security Professionals. Welcome to Colorado Equals Security. This is our interview uh, this week. I'm getting to sit down with Matt Schufeld. Matt Schufeld. Uh, <laughs> 
Matt, I don't actually don't know your title now. I'm going to let you tell that story. I know you've, you've moved around since we last had you. We were just talking that you were on the show back in 2017, three years ago. Uh, at the time, you were the healthcare CISO for Cognizant, mm-hmm. which you know had been Trizetto before. So a lot of folks in town here know Trizetto as a as a kind of long term Denver tech company. Yeah. Um, you know, it's been a long time. So why don't you talk to me about what's happened? You know, 2017, you were here talking about that, what you were doing at Cognizant. You know, how, tell me how that ended up and uh, let's go from there. Yeah. So um, I think last time we spoke, I was about a year, year and a half in. I had built up the team, uh, hired quite a few local folks to, to come on board. And um, the role just kept growing. So it did start off as just Trizetto, but uh, we actually acquired more healthcare companies uh, as we went on. And there were other parts of the healthcare vertical that weren't previously being managed centrally. So that came over uh, to our team as well. Hmm. So all that to say is the role continued to grow, continued to grow. And, um, and all of it was, was going very well and continued to go well. So um, my typical nature, and you've known me for a while, is I tend to take on any and every challenge that I see. And, and so, uh, as my, as my role started to grow and the team fleshed out in healthcare, we actually looked at what we were doing globally. So, uh, I was helping out with several global initiatives such as our, you know, global compliance related initiatives, uh, our M and a practice and doing assurances for that. Uh, and, uh, basically there would be new, new pet projects that come up as, as all companies have. And you can imagine the size of Cognizant, uh, they have a lot of yeah. those different pet projects. Uh, and I continued to take on more and more and more. And eventually uh, I found that uh, I was really enjoying the success we were bringing as a team. And I was very driven to help with all of it. But I did find that I was kind of burning through my own uh, reserve as far yeah. as my ability to keep keep going at, at the energetic level that I think that you always should be. I said something in our last interview, I think, around the lines of, hey, if you're burnt out, like don't stay because you're not going to do anybody any good. Hmm. And I wasn't at burnout yet, but I didn't want to get to burnout. Right. So several months before I decided uh, I was going to go do something different, I actually had a great talk with my boss, who was the global CSO, and just said, hey, I want to do something different once we get through these next set of projects. And so we did. We got those through those next set of projects. I said, hey, you know, I'm ready to move on. I'm going to go do this other thing. And uh, and, uh, he basically said, Oh, you're serious about that. <laughs> and I said, yeah, yeah, no, I'm serious. Like no, no, no bad tidings at all. Like, uh, I got to help kind of, uh, flesh out the strategy for, for replacing me and other functions that had grown and, and all of that went well. And so I decided I had never, ever taken time off mm. ever, uh, since I was a teenager. So I decided, you know, I'm going to take like up to six months off. And I remember talking to you yeah. and, and James and a few other folks about it at uh, one of the award dinners. Yeah. And uh, I made it about two months. <laughs> I made it two that, months it and like then I got Dece- recruited. It was over De- December. So you, you had the holidays. So it, it felt like maybe you'd be able to to make it a ways in. But uh, as soon as you started, uh, I mean, I, I feel like it, even even when you started taking the time off, you had a few companies that were talking to you about yeah. various uh, various different things, right? Not, not going somewhere necessarily as a CISO right, right. away. No, that's true. So... Uh, and I picked up an advisory gig mm-hmm. that could have turned into something uh, just just to keep myself busy. I, I figured out a weekend that me having nothing to do professionally wasn't great for my sanity. Yeah. Um, so yeah, no, I, I definitely kept busy. 
Um, I want to pause though yeah. on, your, about the, on the burnout stuff. Yeah. You know, I, I think that I think every security person and probably everyone in other fields, but we're talking to security people. So every security person I think feels a level of frustration and, um, futility sometimes. And, and I, while I think that those might be, uh, might be symptoms of, of burnout, I don't think that they always are. Right. So I would wonder if you have any insights on like, what, what does it mean when someone feels burnout versus just someone's having, uh, you know, someone's frustrated by the, by inability to get some stuff done in the short term. Yeah. I think it's, uh, I think it's a matter of a blend of what, what's your job satisfaction looking like that fuels your engine. What's your work-life balance look like? And that's different for almost everybody. Yeah. Like, what do you need to like see, still feel recharged occasionally uh, to get that going? And work has always recharged me. Uh, so what I'll just tell you for my own self is that I figured out uh, my limit. Like I had never hit my limit before. Hmm. And I'm like, oh, I go, took on a bit too much. Go to a big enough company and there's a, there's a lot of work you could take on. That's right. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, I wanted to prove I could do something like I had done previously at a global company. Yeah. I did that. And then I'm like, well, I can do more. And eventually I looked up and went, Ooh, I'm doing too much. Hmm. And I'm not one to, I'm not one to then just bail on things. So I came up, you know, with a plan on how to mitigate that for myself. And part of mitigating that for myself was having like an end. Yeah. It's like, okay, I know I'm working towards something. Hmm. And once I have all those things cleared up and I have satisfaction that I did the job I said I was going to do, then I can go do something else. Yeah. And it must, there must've been a realization in there for you that, you know, running security programs for, you know, a hundreds of thousands of person kind of conglomerate. I don't know if that's a fair word for cognizant, but it feels like they might be um, like, that might not be your ideal end state for a job. Is that, is that true? No, it's totally true. I, yeah. I wanted to prove I could do it. Right. Um, I definitely wanted to do that. Uh, honestly, I find, and I think you and I have had versions of this conversation in the past. I find that you can make the most significant difference in security at uh, the large end of, of small, medium business mm. and uh, the lower end of large. Right. Because you have funding and it's not so big. The business isn't so big that it changes constantly and is so expansive that you can't you can't do everything you want to do all the time. Yeah. And you can, especially, you know, someone like you, who, who I think likes to be very involved in the details, you know, you can still know the details when you get to the, you know, if you're the CISO for Kaiser or Bank of America, there's just no way you can know right. all those details. And, and I think my guess would be for you, you know, there are so many cycles that you're thinking about as the, you know, you know, cause you have such a, such a broad ownership in that large company. You're trying to think about all those things to, to such a level of detail that you just, you know, that's probably taxing in and of itself. Yeah, it, it was. I felt like I managed it pretty well uh, because I've always been very program focused. Hmm. So I created mechanisms fairly early on. Um, uh, you know that I'm a big believer in building out security PMO and, and all these different things that allow you to scale. So I had built those things out for the areas I was responsible for. So I felt like I was still able to be in the details. Uh, but then there's another step, hmm. right? It's like, I, I I'm pretty good at not, having people have to do the things the way I think they should be done. Um, but at a certain point you have, you you've expanded across so many different leaders. So I had a lot of different leaders underneath me and they were all fantastic, but you know, they're all going to do things slightly different right. than you and slightly different than each other. And I did things slightly different than like, you know, central cognizant and, but we always were talking about how to align. So those kinds of differences um, it's still very satisfying 
and everyone's going after the right thing. But at some point you lose your own kind of artistic vision for mm. to, to hopefully that's not overstating it, but I like things to look a certain way. Right. Um, and you just can't do that across yeah. that many different leaders. It's a challenge, you know, this in enabling and empowering of leaders underneath you, but then still having a vision for what your security program should look like. I, I, I run into that, you know, scale significantly smaller than that, but you know, a 30 person security team, you know, I see things in one way and I have a director underneath me who, who has a vision that I don't necessarily see all the time. And, and, and so there's, there's always that kind of push and pull, like between, I want this leader to own his function and, but I have a vision for it as well. And I, there's a balance, but to your point, like it's just, it's a lot of back and forth in that, in that case. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, one of the things that was really helpful is that I can legitimately say that the leaders that reported to me cared about my well being and cared about the people underneath them. And my leadership cared about my well-being. Mm. And that makes a huge difference. Yeah. Because if you have a leadership structure that doesn't care about each other, that can break down and become become bad pretty quickly. Right. Yeah, it becomes toxic. Okay, well, uh, great. Thanks for diving in that a little bit. You know, I know you, you left Cognizant. You took a couple months off. You you know, you were fishing and golfing every day, I'm sure. <laughs> uh, and then, and then as, after you decided, you know, you got a, I think you had a couple opportunities. Talk to me about how you ended up going to, to Evotech. Yeah. So it's kind of a cool story. Um, I basically had decided I, I was going to take up to six months off mm -hmm. and I figured it would be around, you know, the four month mark that I'd probably start looking in earnest. Um, and, uh, I had companies talking to me right away, uh, as soon as I was available. Um, and really those companies, it was a blend of like, uh, there was a technology startup I was helping, um, you know, as a strategic advisor, uh, there was a couple talking to me about vCISO services because I actually really did want to do vCISO services. Yeah. I thought that was a need uh, that was out there, especially in, like, in the SMB world. Um, and eventually what ended up happening is uh, a coffee that I – a coffee appointment I ended up taking as nothing more than a favor to an industry colleague uh, was with Susan Bullwinkle who was starting up uh, Evotech in Colorado. Right. And uh, my buddy just said, hey, do you mind just meeting with her and show, and telling her what you think the landscape of security looks like in Colorado? And I said, yeah, that's fine. So I showed up for coffee. Well, uh, the CSO for Evotech uh, was with her. He was actually traveled out here from San Diego, was taking appointments. And so he came along. We ended up talking the entire time. Poor Susan didn't get a word in edgewise. And by the end of it, he's like, yeah, you need to come on board. And Susan, Susan's like, well, I really want to get to know him too. <laughs> and I'm like, well, I didn't realize this was an interview, but let's keep talking. Yeah. And so uh, I did get to have a follow-up lunch with Susan where we got to know each other, which was great. Um, and then I found out, you know, just everybody that I talked to at Evotech was like super passionate hmm. and really, really cared about the company growing. And, and the fact that it was all private backed, like no, no outside investment. All of that just sounded like a really great situation to try to get into and see yeah. if I could do the thing I wanted to try to do, which was that which is that VCISO kind of engagement. Right. So so before we get into what you were hired to do for Evotech or Evotech. It's Evotech. I keep I, I No no everybody I, I always want to say Evotech, but it is it's like evolution. It is. Evotech, yeah. Yeah. Um uh, before we talk about what you were hired to do, talk about what um what the company does in general. Yeah, so um, you know, it grew up in, in, with two kind of sides to it. So, uh, it was a system integrator services company with, uh, a VAR component to it. So basically, um, across multiple different practices. So your, your traditional like data center types of practices or networking, um, uh, mobility 
cloud, um, and then security, of course. Uh, there basically is a oops, sorry. There's a services arm, and there's a there's a reselling component, and that's evolved since I've even been there. Hmm. So now it's become much more fused. It's no longer hey, I just came and advised you on some stuff. By the way, let me introduce you to my sales partner because they might be able to fulfill your needs. Yeah. And uh, now it's much more of a structured approach. And you know, we really talk about things up front and what our intentions are up front all the way through. And uh, I'd say that the way the business has grown is we've added uh, components since I've been there as well. Like, uh, you know how important architecture is to me. So we added security architecture when I was still in the security practice uh, because we just found people weren't architecting things appropriately. And we and we've modified a couple of practices since I've been there and brought a few together. Hmm. So so as a company, there's the the two sides that which you said is services and then there's reselling, um, and you were brought in to do what? Uh, the services side. Yeah. So I was definitely brought in to do uh, virtual CISO services, which yeah. when I first joined the company uh, was more about doing assessments and some light advisory. Um, so assessments with very specific uh, ends. Uh, such as, you know, full program assessments or an assessment on a specific part of your program, like your AppSec program. Um, and it's evolved quite significantly since then. Uh, so it's very advisory heavy and the assessments are still there, but we have a lot of running ongoing uh, advisory engagements with clients now. Um, so you were brought in to do these uh, assessments, which you said, like you said, were mostly point in time specific deliverables and now it's turned into ongoing engagements. So that was what you were brought into And tell me how that went and, and maybe how you've seen it evolve since then. Yeah. So, uh, well, it, 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 it couldn't have gone better. I've, I'm super excited. So, uh, basically not only did I, uh, end up engaging with multiple clients that I've now been a VCISO for, for, for a year or more. Hmm. Um, and some of that is with existing CISO. Some of that is with it leaders. Um, so now I have regular weekly engagements with all of them, helping them kind of move their programs forward, uh, helping them with situations that just pop up that they don't know how to deal with. Honestly, helping them with the business side hmm. of running uh, a program, uh, because honestly, a lot of folks in our industry didn't come up with any kind of business background. Right. And so helping help, helping them with that. Uh, we've also, like I said, built out a new security architecture capability. Uh, so now we do multiple, we have multiple architects on board, multiple architects as a services engagements, uh, and as well as the engineering part has grown as well. So, um, the security group has grown uh, pretty significantly just in the last year, uh, because of that. And, uh, we've actually hired more Colorado people than any other region, uh, in the last, in the last year. So two years ago, Susan came on roughly two years ago, maybe a little bit less than yep. two years ago. Um, and, and you, you were employee number two in Colorado. Is that true? Uh, yeah, after Susan. Yeah. I was, I she was, was number one. She yeah. was number two. And yeah. then how many do we have now here? Uh, we have 12. Well, that's pretty good growth. That's yeah. great growth. And M most of that's delivery. And and I know Michelle is is a sales rep in, in, this, in the territory. Is there any other sales here? Dan Wood. Oh, I don't think I knew. Uh, maybe I knew Dan came there. Yep. Yeah. Interesting. Dan was a longtime Optive guy. Yep. Uh, Acuvant before that. Uh, Optive yep. guy. So you got Dan and Michelle and, and Susan. Um, and then the rest is delivery then? Yep. The other nine people, yourself and architects and engineers. Yeah. Yep. That's great. Uh, and how has your job changed in that time from, from just doing VCSO, VCSO work to what else are you doing now? Well, so uh, there for an interim period, I actually was in charge of the security architects uh, as well because I built that piece out. Um, but now we actually have uh, a full-time leader for them. So I've phased out of that. 
and uh, two and a half, three months ago, uh, everything's kind of blending together right now because I'm doing two jobs, <laughs> which you were just doing recently, uh, as I remember. Um, I actually got uh, our newest practice. So I'm launching uh, and have launched our newest practice, which is called Digital Platform Solutions. Hmm. So previously, we had a cloud practice and we had a platform engineering practice. And the platform engineering practice was more of your like DevOps, SRE type of work. And the cloud was really about cloud partnerships and, and structuring cloud engagements with partners. Yeah. And so uh, one of our leaders uh, moved on. And so the senior leadership team started talking. And they asked my opinion because I partnered quite a bit with both, both groups. And I said, well, what I think we should do is put them together. Um, and uh, on top of that, I think we need to add enterprise architecture as a, as a key component. Hmm. Because most of our clients don't do enterprise architecture well or, or at all. Um, and frankly, our engagements are going to get so much better if we're actually doing proper like requirements, solicitation, capability modeling, and all those pieces. And then it will lead into the other practices as well. And it kind of brings it all together because as a client, you shouldn't have to care that we have three practices or four practices. It should just be about, you know, doing right. the right solution. Here's a problem I have. Help me solve it. That's yeah. right. So I've taken over that practice. Um, and so I've been doing that uh, and still taking care of my existing security clients. Um, but I'm very, very excited. We actually, uh, had my backfill on the security side, uh, CISO out of the Bay area just hmm. started with us on Monday. So are you moving into the, the new, this new practice full time then? I will be. Yes. Wow. You're not going to be doing the VCSO work then. Well, <laughs> so I have, I have, uh, at least one client, uh, who basically said, Hey, I, 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 I definitely like everything that Evotech does for me, but I'm with you guys because of you. Okay. And so I will probably keep at least that client as a yeah. VCISO uh, ongoing. It'd be nice to keep your keep your little bit of a, a foot in the water there to say so, so you you stay in that world, right? Well, it'll always be like very close to my heart, as you could probably guess. Um, one of the things I'm excited about though is then in the new practice, I can actually build things the way I think they should be built for clients. Um, and then you know, and obviously in our CISO world, we influence how things get built. We we influence how things will ultimately be structured. So having the background that I have and then getting to actually build uh, build good solutions for clients is pretty exciting to me. Yeah, that's really cool. Uh, and is your is your team, the, this, this new practice, is it distributed all over the country or all over the world? Are you mostly in Colorado? Where's your team? Uh, so none of my new team members are actually in Colorado yet, okay. although I am working on one. I can't say who it is yet, uh, but... Uh, I'm hoping my my first hire, uh, because I had existing team members, uh, obviously, mm -hmm. when I took over the other practices. Yeah. So my first hire will most likely be here in Colorado. Okay. And it's going to be on the uh, – uh, sorry, I'm going to back up and tangent for a second. You know how I've always liked to hire people that can do more than one thing yeah. as opposed to super specialists? Yeah. Uh, so I'm looking for people that can do two of the three major components, so out of the EA – uh, the DevOps piece and the cloud cloud architecture piece. Yeah. I want somebody who can do at least do two of the three. So the this first hire that I'm looking at is actually a very talented DevOps DevSecOps engineer and has a really strong uh, cloud background as mm. well. So I'm I'm excited to go after. I mean, him. Th that's a hard skill set to hire. It is. It, it's it's going to be tough to find. I mean, every company you know has a few that they that they love and don't want to see go. So it's going to be hard to get them in expensive as well. What's funny is uh, a couple of my existing people that I think are just amazing uh, are so well loved by one of my clients that's very big yeah. that I can't really get any time 
other than them working on that client, which is a great problem to have, but yeah, you're, yeah. you're so right. Yeah. Those are, that's a tough skill set. So glad you have an eye on someone. Hopefully you can, hopefully you can land that plane. I normally land the plane pretty, pretty well. <laughs> uh, well, well, good. So what do you see in terms of, obviously you're building out a new practice that you're, you know, confusing some, some important, um, disciplines together. Any other thoughts about like, what is next for Matt? You know, if we, if you look forward in three years, you know, you, you run this pra- pra- practice for some amount of time and I assume then you help send up another practice at some point, like maybe I'm putting words into your mouth, but where do you, where do you see the future going? No, you know me pretty well. I, uh, I would say that, uh, I don't like to pick a destination. Yeah. Um, I, I have new people to learn from and new, new things to learn, uh, in this new role, as well as I've learned from, I would say a completely different part of our, 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 uh, industry, uh, over the last couple of years. Like I wasn't very familiar, like obviously cognizant, I had good exposure to the vendor side of things, but this is very different. Uh, and being able to think about it from a pure consulting point of view has taught me taught me a lot because all my previous consulting, I was still doing a full-time job and doing consulting. Hmm. And so, uh, I know this is a very long answer. Sorry. Uh, you wouldn't expect any less. Um, I just want to keep learning. And so if I get really good at this practice, my natural inclination is going to be to try to groom somebody in the practice to take it over hmm. and do something else. And hopefully with an Evotech, cause I really love Evotech's culture. It's, it's, uh, it's probably uh, the least constrained I've ever been in my entire career. Mm. So that's it's pretty, exciting. That's pretty great. Yeah. Um, you know, kind of ch- ch- totally changing topics on you. When we talked three years ago, you told us uh, about how you had recently picked up lacrosse. And mm-hmm. if I remember correctly, during our conversation, you told a story about how you had identified a coach from the outlaws. Yep. Yeah. Who had, who had come and coached you guys. And, you know, you got a team of folks who had either played it never before or, you know, very, very little lacrosse. Yeah. How, did you stop playing? Are you still playing? How was, playing. how was pandemic impacted that? Uh, so the pandemic did, uh, did cut one of our seasons short, uh, as everyone was trying to figure out what to do. Uh, Colorado hadn't yet set what the rules would be. Yeah. Um, and outdoor sports did come back up a couple months in. Yeah. And basically, uh, our first season back, uh, we played what, what's called sevens. And so instead of three, three and three in a goalie, uh, so, you know, uh, defense, mid and attack in a yeah. goalie, uh, we had two, two and two in a goalie. Okay. Uh, so it made the field more wide open, more offense, a lot more offense. Yeah. And I played defense. So that was painful. <laughs> <laughs> a lot more running for me. Um, but it, but it felt so good to yeah. like get out there and do it again. Uh, and we just started up a new season a couple weeks ago. Now we're back at full numbers. Okay. Um, and the season's going really great. Yeah. And we still use that coach. Oh, yeah? Yeah, yeah. Uh, do you mind if I give him a shout out? Of course, please. So Chris Spangler, who's the strength and conditioning coach for the Outlaws, uh, has hopped in and coached us at multiple points uh, and has been so friggin' amazing. Like, he's so awesome. And yeah. it's, it's funny because we also randomly get to work out with, other outlaws and former outlaws, like they just show up sometimes. So that's been pretty cool. So do you guys do uh, consistent practices in addition to your games? When the season isn't going, we do practices. Uh, okay. We don't, we don't normally double up one. I'm too old and I don't know if my body could handle that. Yeah. Um, I see. But... Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Sorry. No, it's okay. Go ahead. I hear, and I definitely get it. I, I, I have recently realized that my body is no longer able to do as much working out as I want to. Yes. Yep. No, so, but it's, it's been a blast. So, so you, when you guys practice, you, like not the non-games, sometimes some of the outlaws will show up. 
we it's not like multiple show up. Yeah, it's like we've had random ones yeah. show up to different practices. Yeah. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah, it was really neat. Um and like I said, coach is just phenomenal. Like he's he's uh you can tell that he teaches at all ages. Yeah. And it was funny because we were so bad when he first started helping us because you can remember we were all brand new to the sport. Yeah. Uh that you could tell he was teaching us like he teaches like the peewees. Uh, and then he would check himself. He's like, Oh, these are full grown adults. (laughs) They're just, they're just terrible. Uh, but he never said it that way. Um, but no, I, we've come a long ways. Like we actually, uh, we actually just won uh, a game this past weekend against one of the tougher teams in the league. And it was hard and it was fun. It was, it was great. Yeah. And you're playing people who played in college and stuff, I'm guessing. Oh yeah. 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 So some, some were like scholarship players. Right. Um, a lot of the people that, were so I, I think I mentioned to you earlier there there's a master's division which is experience or age okay. uh, so if you're under a certain number of years experience or you're older than a certain amount you play in the master's hmm. division so we've always played the master's division okay and uh, the people that were really tough were playing in the what was called the the young guns division which was the which was all the guys like straight out of college okay well since the time that we started playing against the master's division. The master's division steadily gotten much, much harder because hmm. people are aging out of the young guns division. And those people aren't any worse than they were before. Yeah. And they never stopped playing. So they're still super fast and everything else. So right. yeah, the, most of these guys that are like from the East coast, they've been playing since they were, uh, eight gosh, years old, eight five years, years old. old yep. Yeah. Kind of like me with football, but hmm. yeah, it's crazy. So, so you're enjoying it and you have, you're still walking. So no massive injuries yet. Um, nothing, nothing terrible. Uh, honestly, there was about a year period where, uh, my Achilles was messed up enough mm. where I was never fully running. If you know what I mean? It was yeah. more of like a dragging yourself along yeah. at a quick rate. And I'm finally recovered from all of that. Oh, so I'm feeling great. good. Uh, all right. So another topic I wanted to make sure we talk about It's a question you usually ask, but, but I'm the one with the, the mic. So I get to ask the questions. Fair enough. Um, you know, usually you, you ask, what are you doing to help with the next generation of security talent or, you mm-hmm. know, some other variation of that question. And I'd love to hear, you know, what you've been doing since you're, you know, you're out of the CISO role and into this, into this kind of vendor side. Is there something you're doing there to, to still continue with that, that mission? Yeah, I'd like to think I am. I think I could always do better. Uh, but uh, during my time off, uh, you know, I went to SecureSet. Uh, I've been trying to push people towards like going to trade schools to get people in. I try to recruit every friend I have who ever like contemplates a job change. To be clear, when you say you went to SecureSet, you're not saying you went enrolled in their program, right? Uh, no. <laughs> what, what, what did you do? No, I just went and spoke to the students. Yeah. Um, I, I, you know, every program has flaws, but I always appreciated what, what they're trying to accomplish. Yeah. And, you know, when I was at Cognizant, we hired folks from SecureSet. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've now had friends go through their program yeah. uh, and now work in security jobs. So that's been great. I've had, I've hired three or four folks from SecureSet and, you know, while the, the education certainly does not give you a, uh, a whole background in security, right. it, it does make you better able to have the conversations to understand, you know, what are the main the, uh, themes in security and yeah. really be able to just participate as an active part of a, any conversation on security. I agree. Yeah. And, and honestly, it's, it's like every other field. It's like, well, are trade schools more valuable than going to a full college mm-hmm. and they're different, right? Like the, the fact is if you go and you get full stack education as a developer versus going to a trade school as a developer, you're probably going to be a better developer if you got full stack training, but you're not going to be making money as quickly and you're not going to get real life experience as quickly. Yeah. Uh, so no, I definitely think it has value. So uh, apart from that, 
Um, you know, of course, we've been trying to do uh, learnings and webinars with our clients. Uh, we've done a couple uh, online as well uh, with a couple of partners. Um, but uh, I, I still see it as the, like you say, I ask this question all the time. I still see it as a massive problem. Mm-hmm. And uh, I still see folks uh, having entry-level positions requiring six years of experience in a, in a CISSP. I mean. Like, yeah, I, I always wonder, like, like I have so little respect for that that play, whoever does that, that I almost like leave them out of the conversation. Like they're just clearly not paying attention. Right. So, so it's the, it's, I think that there are a lot of people who, who do try, who, who don't have entry level positions that require experience in CISSP. Um, but we still have a problem, right? And, and I think there's a, there's a problem that's number one, like the, there's just not enough people supply versus demand. Mm-hmm. And, and you could, you could argue Whatever, whatever way you want to go, the demand's too high. So we maybe we, we need to do less manual work. Maybe we need to do more automated, scalable processes, embed more things within business units. I could, you can make that argument. Yep. I don't think that'll solve all of it. You know, we're talking about trying to to work on the supply side, so try and you know make more security professionals. But you know, it, it doesn't feel like that's worked. Like it doesn't feel like we brought enough people in to get there. Um, there's got to be there's got to be some combination of those and. Uh, and maybe the the way you know the fundamental technologies that we're trying to secure maybe get a little bit better as well. I, I think know. you I think you just touched on two of the most important points, which is we need to change how things are being produced mm-hmm. because things are produced, and I'm talking about software, I'm talking about end to end services. Things are produced so in, inherently flawed. Yeah, from a design perspective, that's why we have to do all this extra all these extra activities, um, and that's never going to go away either. But I think we need to attack all those angles. Like uh, I think uh, appropriate architecture, like there's not enough architects. There's not enough builders uh, and designers in our world. Yeah. Like we have, we have a lot of people that are very attracted to the offensive <laughs> side, which makes sense. I mean, that's the super cool, interesting piece, but that side is never going to be, it's always going to be useful and needed, but it's never going to be revolutionary. Hmm. Right. It's going to be modeling themselves after uh, other attackers, modeling themselves after different behaviors. And there's a few incredibly gifted folks in that area. Don't get me wrong. Uh, and by a few, I actually mean quite a yeah, few, quite a few. Yeah. Um, but that's not going to change the the level of, of vulnerability. Yeah. Like we have to design and build things better. So I do think attacking it from that point of view is good. Uh, I also think that. Um, we've kind of gotten away from the basics. Like it, it, I use the Top Gun analogy all the time that, that, uh, you know, Top Gun being invented because, um, you know, after Vietnam, uh, people lost the ability to dogfight because they had missiles. Yeah. It's the same thing with, with how our engineers and our admins and et cetera, like they're, they don't know their platforms cold anymore. Uh, a lot of them, they're Googling all their answers. They're, like it, it, it's so easy to get information that I, I think people have lost kind of the institutionalization of that information. Yeah. And I think that's made us a little weaker. And too. I would say on the security side too, you know, if you are a full-time, you know, talk to a lot of local company, if you're a full-time log, uh, logarithm admin, you, you probably know logarithm pretty well. If you're a person who, who, who owns logarithm and Palo Alto and ping identity and, Webroot and whatever else, right? If you own all of these different technologies, you probably don't know any of them very well. And that that's the 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 challenge with generalization and adding more and more tools into your tool stack. You know, you start turning over old tools and now everything's kind of new and, and you're more of a, 
you're a Google jockey instead of a, an expert. Yeah, and, and you and I have differed uh, pretty much continually on on this point a little bit. Okay. Not not fundamentally. Like I agree with you fundamentally. Like if if the individuals are not investing in their knowledge, they are not going to ever be good at those tool sets. Whereas if you just work on one tool, you have to get good. That I, I would, tool set. You can't, there's no, very few companies have enough people to have one person per tool. No, no, like, no, that's that's yeah, unrealistic. Yeah. So, so I do think that really talented super journalists, and I say super journalists because they need to be deep. Like they need a fundamental understanding of technology and yeah. then they need to learn a couple of platforms that are really important to their environment. Right. I think those folks are more valuable than anyone. Yeah. I, I think that the, you have to figure out what is the fundamental thing for your environment that they have to know. Um, so in a, you know, Ping, for example, you have to understand how AWS works and how Linux works. If you don't, if you can't do those two things, you probably don't have a good spot on the technical side of the security sure. team. Now, there's there's the product security side, which you don't need those there, and and there's the GRC side, which is important. But if you're if you're going to be one of my infrastructure security people, you have to be good at those yeah. things. Yeah, that makes and, sense. And so, understanding what are the fundamental technologies for your tech for your for your organization, that's essential. Yeah. And maybe you can teach it. You probably can teach it, but it has to be someone who's passionate and you know, they have eager to, to learn. Passionate. Yeah. No. And, and, you know, I'll tell you probably, you know, I've had a lot of folks that I've loved that have been on my various security teams over the years. Uh, and I would say that probably 60% of them were crazy passionate hmm. about being really good. And those folks, even though they covered multiple things, I felt were very good uh, in the areas they touched and, and, and where they weren't, they were very transparent. And they worked well with other other groups that did have those deep dive skills. Um, kind of like, uh, I think you and I talked many, many years ago about uh, how SIM was really a data science problem. Hmm. And we, we were basically trying to throw uh, network engineers at, at a data science problem. Right. And so we partnered with our BI team yeah. to try to get better at that. And I think, I think if, we, if we eliminate a lot of those silos and kind of take that... Uh, kind of uh, original DevOps point of view where uh, there shouldn't be a DevOps group, right? There should be like partnership across different teams and that you understand each other's weaknesses and strengths and you reinforce those things. Yeah. I think, you know, one of the things that you and I have talked about, I don't know, dozens of times over the years is around SIM. And my, I have a, a kind of a visceral negative reaction to SIM, not because of I, I, it's a, it, there, there's an important security operations function that SIM is part of, yeah. um, but because SIM in general makes it simple, stupid to do the wrong thing. Like it's so easy to just go spend all your time chasing after false positives once you put a SIM in place. Um, and so, it, you know, I, I come about it from a side that says, I would rather see us create, you know, now we call it a data lake, right? In the past, I would have called it a log repository. Right. You know, now it's a data lake. Uh, we Now we create a data lake and I'd rather see us say, all right, we have all these logs here. Let's go identify the top 10 things that bad things that could happen in my environment and go create a learning and, you know, uh, and monitoring for those types of things. And I now have 10 alerts with zero false positives, right? I would rather see a company start that way than go buy your favorite SIM solution and turn on their PCI pack and then spend the rest of their careers, you know, tuning out false positives. So when I, when I have like a visceral negative SIM response, it's because everywhere I've ever worked, people always turn on that stupid PCI pack or whatever the other option is, because it's so much easier than doing the, the hard work that gets you the true value. No, I, I agree with that fully. I don't have the same negative and that's why we've talked about yeah, it so much. Yeah. I don't have the same negative reaction to SIM simply because I think people have misimplemented it so many times and I don't disagree. It's not hard to, to do that. Yeah. To do it wrong. Yeah. yeah. Um, but basically there's a few battles in this world where 
you know you get the option of, of, of choosing not to do something. And I think I came to the realization several years ago that um, your program's never going to be looked at as being uh, up to snuff if you don't have that capability. Well, is it, that, there has to be a capability for monitoring for bad things. That, and that's what... Monitoring and, and overall like event correlation and yeah. the ability to, to dig dig into There's the There's a forensics, and, a forensics capability yeah, yeah. there as well, yep. Yeah, and, and I'll tell you that uh, I thought we did a pretty darn good job of it at uh, Sports Story. I thought we were, we were really good at it. Yeah. Because um, we took the time to get good at it. Yeah. But I learned a lot when I was at Cognizant about it. Uh, because there were, there were really good, back to the specialist point, there were people that were like really good yeah. at that specific technology space. And it taught me quite a bit. And it also taught me that there, there is, there are things that are not shortcuts, but are definitely multipliers that help a lot. Like, you know, appropriately identifying based on threat modeling, your use cases. Uh, you can actually go to some of the partners and actually purchase those use cases because uh, they've already developed them out. They flush them out and they can help you implement them to your technology base. But None of that's easy, and I'm not saying it is easy. Yeah. It's, it's just one of those things that uh, it's it's interesting to me how how many technologies get a bad rep because people can't implement them. Yeah, I'm yeah. I, I'm I keep thinking SOAR is going to be the same way. Hmm. So SOAR is one of those that if you get it right, I mean it's a it's a force multiplier, right? Yeah. And uh, and I I have yet to see a lot of companies that have have really got it um, tuned in and feel like they're getting a lot of value there. Yeah, me either. All right. Well, you know, that's the questions I had for you. What, what else do you want to talk about? You, you know, the mic is yours to, to, you know, <laughs> uh, well, to, to preach to the community. Well, uh, I don't know that I'm going to get preachy, although I do accidentally do that quite a bit. Um, I, I would just say that uh, I, I really appreciated you bringing up kind of the journey. You always bring up the journey with folks. Um, I, I think that everyone, whether you're staying on the technical side of things going into leadership, doing, doing both. Um, one, don't look down on the other parts of our mm. industry. Like people tend to, tend to have like negative reactions to different parts of our yeah. industry, depending on where, where they come from. And there's just no benefit in that whatsoever. Um, so, so I'd love to see that stop. Mm. Uh, I'd love to see us be able to not only fix the resourcing problem, but kind of fix the diversity problem in our industry. It's, it's still not great. Yeah. Um, and there's lots of reasons for that that would take a whole show just to even talk about. Um, but from a positive point of view, uh, I feel like I have been so fortunate uh, to get exposed to really great people like in companies, outside of companies, friends. I think of this. Uh, I think of you this way. Like we make ourselves better. We make yeah. each other better um, and just be open to learning and be open to the fact that you aren't great at everything. Right. And I really valued a conversation that you and I had, I think it was only after like I was doing the new gig, like uh, not the new, new gig, but the original new gig at Evotech. I think I'd only been doing it for a few weeks and you and I had a great talk on a security topic and uh, I left that conversation. And I'm like, I totally screwed up like one entire topic area and I'm not used to doing that, but we were covering like so much ground that I conflated two things in my head. And I remember coming back to you in earnest and saying, man, I just want to tell you, I screwed that, screwed that up. And you're like, yeah, you screwed up one thing. Like, yeah. and that made me feel like, yeah, even though I'd been doing it forever, like it made me feel infinitely better that a peer didn't look yeah. down on me admitting that 
I had, you know, not done something well. We all, we all have a, you know, it's a, it's a broad space security and, and, you know, the, we create all these acronyms and, and they don't always necessarily say what they do. So yeah, Yeah. no no worries. Well, Matt, this is great. Uh, I appreciate your time. We're going to go get lunch so uh, we can continue our conversation, but the rest of these folks can't hear this next part of it. (laughs) That's right. All right. Thank you. All right. We'll look forward to having you on here on the show in the future too. Appreciate it. Learn more about the Colorado security scene at colorado-security.com, where you can see information about local security groups, a calendar of upcoming security events, and learn more about Colorado equals security. Reach out to Alex and Rob by emailing info at colorado-security.com. Until next time, remember, Colorado equals security.